Looks like we're down in crowd tonight, but that's okay. Uh, would ask that you would remember uh, some folks in your prayers. Remember, um, uh, Andrew's not doing well. They think that he spiked the uh, temperature, so they think that he may have the flu. So pray for little Andrew. And then also for Sharon Land, I guess uh, the other day she broke both of her ankles. And so remember her in your prayers. And then, of course, for Brother John. And then uh, uh, good to see Brother Kirk here tonight and continue praying for him as well. Uh, so let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. We are uh, desperately in need of the Lord, and we need his uh, help in our lives. We need his encouragement. And so let's go to his hymn tonight. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, all that you do for us. Lord, we thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, I ask, uh, Lord, that you would be with these prayer requests tonight. Lord, I know that each of us have heavy hearts and things that are uh, on our minds that, uh, Lord, that uh, just need attention tonight. Lord, we ask that you would be with, um, be with little Andrew as he's uh, not feeling well. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, help him to, uh, to feel better soon. Lord, pray that you would be with uh, for Brother John as he's recovering. Lord, uh, um, pray that you would just strengthen him. I know his desires to be here. Uh, but, Lord, I pray that you just uh, continue being with him, be with Miss Sharon as she's uh, recovering from her surgery. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, uh, meet her, their needs as well. And then for Brother Kirk, Lord, I pray that you would uh, continue to be with him. Lord, I do ask that you would be with the, the Bryant family and those that were lost, uh, lost their lives in uh, uh, the helicopter accident this last week. Lord, I pray that you be with the families. Lord, may... You uh, reign supreme in the lives of these folks uh, and, and give them comfort and peace during this time. Lord, I pray that you be with our services tonight. Speak to our hearts as only you can. Lord, give us exactly what we need to hear, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's uh, turn to page 391, I Am Resolved. Page number 391, I Am Resolved. <clears throat> I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. I will hasten to him, hasten to
Amen. I do appreciate you being here tonight. We're going to go ahead and get into the message, get you home before it's too late tonight. But I do appreciate you being here in the Lord's house. We're going to be in John chapter 17 tonight. John chapter 17. We've been reading through the book of John and uh, seeing the portraits of Christ through the eyes of John. And tonight we're going to see Christ portrayed or his portrait as our great high priest. He's our great high priest. The Bible says that he's uh, sending on the right hand of the Father, making ever intercession for you and for me as our high priest. And um, as we have journeyed through John's gospel, we've seen, uh, we've been encouraged by uh, these, these chapters. We've seen some great, uh, we've seen his great compassion as he displayed uh, 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 his love for mankind, and we've seen how he has cured the, uh, the, the sick and how he has had compassion on the lost and how he's shown his power revealed to us as he raised the dead and, and he, uh, he fed the hungry. And we've seen his grace revealed to us as he saved the sinner. And every portrait as we view Christ here we, in every chapter, it's been an encouragement and a blessing to us. You see, this chapter in uh, chapter 17 is no exception. Uh, it's going to be a great encouragement to us all. When we come to chapter 17, we find ourselves really standing on holy ground. Uh, we see the Holy Spirit of God uh, gives us access to the, the Garden of Gethsemane. As Jesus pours out his heart in prayer and he, and he tells us some things, he reveals some things through this prayer time. Uh, now think about this, on this last night of the earthly life of Christ, if you will. He's found serving as our great high priest, making ever intercession for you and for me. And as, as he prayed that night, he, his prayer focused on four great truths that I want us to, to consider tonight. And as we look at these truths, as we see, uh, listen to the Lord's prayer here, I want us to understand what Jesus prayed about that night in the garden still has an impact on our lives today. And his prayer had power then and it still has power today. And his power will uh, stand true through the test of time. With that in mind, I, I want us to have just th look at these four thoughts on the Lord's Prayer and the garden here. And uh, what we'll learn in this lesson is about, about prayers. About, uh, we'll see several things about the Lord's will and uh, for his people. And when you stop to think about the eve of his death and Jesus took the time to pray for you and for me shows the importance of prayer, and I, I find it pretty encouraging to me that the Lord prayed for me during that time. You say, how did he pray for me? And God, in his foreknowledge, he prayed for me. And I want to, I want to have you join me in John chapter 17. Um, I'll, I'll go through this chapter, so I'm not going to read it uh, by way of introduction, but uh, I'll read through some of these verses here. Uh, uh, just for the sake of time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for this time, Lord, that we can open up your word. And Lord, I pray that you would just give us exactly what we need to hear tonight, to encourage us, to help us, to, uh, Lord, to see that you are a great high priest. And Lord, that you set the example uh, as uh, how to pray and what to pray for. And Lord, uh, Lord, you uh, Lord, are such a wonderful God, and you showed us so many great things through your word. And I pray that we'll take this simple lesson tonight, apply it to our hearts and our lives, so we may be better servants for thee. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, I want you to notice first this prayer. It focused around, it was, it was an upward focus. Notice there in verse 1. It says in verse 1 of chapter 17, it says, These words spake Jesus, and lift up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may be glorified. Let's read on. It says, And as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is the life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I want you to notice first the focus was an upward focus. His focus was on uh, the Father's glory. He, that's what it, Jesus was focused on, was uh, to bring glory to God. Look there again in verse 1. He says, These words spake Jesus and lift up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the time has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. That's what his focus was on, was glorifying the Father. Jesus began his prayer by expressing his desire to glorify the Father here. The entire ministry of the Lord Jesus on earth had resolved around this, this sole purpose, this single purpose, and that purpose was to reveal God to men. And Jesus was the perfect expression of God. When, uh, uh, when a man saw Jesus, he was seeing the Father. The Bible says, uh, and no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Jesus is still the only way for a person to see God. He's still the only way. The Bible tells us that no man, no one can come to God except through Jesus. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Men may say that they believe in God and try to bypass Jesus, but that's totally useless. It's a totally useless endeavor. You've got to have uh, Jesus Christ to be with the Father. Jesus is the only way anyone ever comes to God. Then I want you to notice not only is his focus on the Father's glory, but also his focus was on the Father's gift. Look there in verse 6. It says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou givest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest me uh, them me, and they have kept thy word. Notice this, that uh, uh, next Jesus referred to those that the Father had given to him. Uh, uh, he, Jesus knew something that many in our day have forgotten. No man just decides that they're going to be saved. Uh, let me explain that. It's impossible. You see, after all, a man in his natural state is dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. What happens is dead men have no thoughts, no will, and no movement towards God. Before, their, uh, before the, uh, that dead man can live, he must be awakened, his, alive from the Holy Spirit, deals with a person. He speaks to a person's heart, and it's just not one thing, I'm, I'm going to be saved today. No, the Holy Spirit's got to be dealing with a person's heart before they can be saved. The Holy Spirit, and how does that happen when the Holy Spirit reveals it? You remember about when you got saved. Maybe it was through the preaching. Maybe it was through a song. Maybe it was through a testimony. However the case may be, but the Holy Spirit dealt with your, your heart, which caused about a conviction. 
you saw your need uh, uh, to be saved. I've talked to folks that uh, they said, you know what, before I think it was Brother John, I was talking to him the other day, and he said before uh, uh, people can really realize that they need the Lord, they have to be lost first. They have to realize they're sinners. They have to be convicted of the sin that they've committed. And that that's what happens is the Holy Spirit of God convicts us from the sins, and then once we've been convicted, then that's the Holy Spirit dealing with our hearts, realize, making us aware of our need to be saved. We're made alive. But then his focus was on the Father's grace. The Father's grace. Look there in verse 8 through 12. It says, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. All and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Look there, verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou givest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, uh, that the scripture might be fulfilled. We see here his focus is on the Father's grace. In these verses, Jesus calls to mind the great grace of God calling these men and using these men and keeping these men and and prayer uh, for these men. And Jesus reminds us that what we have and are uh, is not in our own makings. What we have, it's all what we have are by the grace of God. Like Jesus, we ought to praise God for his wonderful grace. After all, we we were nothing when he found us. And let me say this, it's only by the grace of God we are what we are today. Even after we got saved, we really are nothing without Him. We need Him in our lives. Everything we are or have or ever hope to be, we owe to the great grace of God in our lives. If there was ever a theme that should produce praise in our hearts, it's the grace of God brought down to man. So we see His prayer had an upward focus, but also I want you to notice his prayer had an inward focus. Look again back in verse 1. It says, These words spake Jesus and lift up his eyes to the heavens and said, Father, thy hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may be glorified. And thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is the life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. <clears throat> he had an inward focus. In these verses, Jesus turns the focus of his prayer inward and prays for the mission to which he was, he was called to do. He prayed for assistance there in verse 1. 
the hour for which Jesus came into the world was finally, it's finally come. It's finally, it's finally here during the course of his life and his ministry. We're reminded that his hour was not yet come. His hour was not yet come. The fullness of time had not been come yet. But now it's the time, his time has is, is come. And he's, he's going to uh, be crucified on the cross. And uh, this was a reminder to those around him that he came to a high, for a high and noble purpose. You see, Jesus came into this world for one purpose. And that purpose was to die for sins of man. To bring us to the Father. You see, now at last the hour's arrived and Jesus is about to be betray, uh, betrayed, arrested. He's uh, to be tried and crucified. And his prayer is for the Father to aid him in these last hours of his life. That he may accomplish and he may fulfill the task that was set before him. His desire is to go to the cross, to die for sin and satisfy the Father. And then be glorified and being raised from the dead. Why did Jesus pray such a prayer? It seems to me that every attempt was made by man and by Satan to, to, to kill him before his time. But no man, remember this, no man took his life, but he gave his life. It was in the fullness of time. It was in his timing. You see, think about this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus came under, I believe, under direct a Satan attack. Uh, Satan tried to kill Jesus in the garden uh, to prevent him from reaching Calvary. After that, Pilate's mob brutalized him, and 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 uh, I mean, under anybody else, from all that he, the scourging and the, the beating that he took on that day, uh, any anybody else would have would have died. But no man can take his life. See, Christ prayed; his prayer was answered in that. The Father brought him safely to the cross. I say safely, but he brought him to the cross where he was crucified and paid for the price of our sins. What proof do we have? In three days he arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He prayed not only that, but he prayed about his accomplishments. There in verses 2 through 4, Jesus knew that his, his death was about to come. It was upon him, and he knew that he was about to finish all that the, the Father had sent him to do. Therefore, he mentions his great accomplishments in, uh, 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 to the Father in heaven. What was that great accomplishment? Well, providing a way for sinners. Providing a way. He says, remember what the Bible says? He said, it is finished. What he was talking about is he's saying the task that, uh, that was brought before me, the task that I was came to fulfill, it is finished. Salvation's plan is finished. Now the door of salvation has been blown off the hinges and whosoever will can enter in and be saved. What a blessing now regardless who you are, what, kind of, what you've done, what kind of background you have, regardless of what kind of life you've lived, you can be eternally saved by coming to Jesus and receiving him as your Lord and Savior. That is what Jesus accomplished on your behalf. But then he prayed for his assurance. Look there again, verse 5, it says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus knew that after the cross and after the grave, he would return to the Father. 
to sit on the right hand of the Father, make an ever intercession for man. He had left behind, think about this, he had left behind, he, he had left behind to come to this earth. Think about all that he left. And he was going home. Few, if any of us, can realize the agony that Jesus suffered in just coming into this world. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it talks about it, that he took upon him a robe of flesh and bone and, and uh, thought it not robber to be e- equal with God and, and took on a robe of flesh. These verses make it clear that Jesus was living in absolute equality with the Father Then he willingly allowed his glory to be concealed under human flesh and entered a sinful world as a man. He did this for one purpose, and that purpose has already been stated, to bring men to God. See, he sits enthroned in the heavens, and no more to die, no more to suffer, but ever to be praised. Here's the good news. All who put their faith and trust in Christ will be in heaven with him one day. His prayer was an upward focus. His prayer had an inward focus, but also his prayer had an outward focus. Just for the sake of time, in verses 6 through 19, it talks about the outward focus here. And we're going to talk about it a little bit. I'm just not going to read all the verses. Now Jesus turns his focus outward and prays for those, the men, his disciples, the, the men that... Uh, for their hearts and their lives. Uh, in this prayer, we can find some nuggets of truth here uh, to help us as well. In verses 6 through 11, he prayed for their uh, preservation. In this section, Jesus prayed for these men that they would be kept by the Father. And Jesus knew the wickedness of the, the world, and he, and he had seen at firsthand the wretchedness of, uh, of the human heart. He knew that left to themselves that these men, these disciples, would not be able to maintain their relationship, and I say that correctly, their relationship with the Father. They would not be able to maintain that. Therefore, he took the responsibility and placed it squarely on the shoulders of the Father. I praise the Lord that it's not my duty to keep myself saved. Because I couldn't do it. You see, we are wicked. And if we had to maintain a life of sinless perfection to remain saved, we would all be in hell eventually. Salvation is God's gift and maintaining it is His responsibility. That does not mean that you and I can do as we please, live as we want, and give us, I always tell people, it doesn't say give us a license to just do and act the way we want and just do it however we please. See, the thing of it is, is that when salvation comes, the reality is this, that when salvation comes, uh, uh, there should be a hunger for righteousness and clean living. After all, if salvation is a reality in your life and in mine, there there should be a hunger for righteousness. Being a new creature is a part of that new life. Anyone who claims to be saved but does not exhibit a clean life uh, deceives himself. If there's never been a change that uh, the Holy Spirit changed in your life... I would examine what I have. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not talking about sinless perfection because every one of us sin every day. Say, I don't. Well, 
There you go, lying. We're, we're all sinners. And the thing of it is, is that uh, we're going to sin. We're going, now, I'm not justifying it. I'm not giving you a license. Oh, well, pastor said I'm going to sin. I might as well do it. That's not what I'm saying. There should be a hunger and thirst. And what, when we do sin, there should be a conviction. The Holy Spirit should be, uh, should be dealing with us and saying, hey, you know what you said, what you did, how you acted, um, whatever the case, whatever, whatever you did, there should be the conviction come about you and you know, I shouldn't have done that. Stupid. I do that, some, I do that to myself sometimes. Stupid. I cannot believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you, whatever. I mean, you put yourself in, in those shoes. Think, I can't believe it. That's the Holy Spirit saying to me, you know what? You shouldn't have done that. You know you, you, know you shouldn't have done that. That's conviction. And you know what else comes about if we continue in that sin? A thing called chastisement. God chastens those that he loves. And if we want to continue, if we're saved, and we want to continue in sin, continue in the sin, and continue in sin, we're going to get chastened. I remember when I was a kid, you all know how bad I was treated as a kid. I mean, when I was a kid, I would get by occasionally, not every time, but oftentimes I'd get by with, Mom tell me to do something once, and I don't do it. And then the second time, if I don't do it, I get in trouble. There was a chastening if I continued in my sin, if you will. And that's how God is. It may seem like we're getting away with it. But soon there's a day of reckoning. There's a day coming where we're going to get taken behind the woodshed. And we're going to get a whooping. We're going to get chastened. Why? Because God loves us. See, what I'm saying is this, is that salvation is eternal. And if salvation were something that was mine one day and gone the next, why did Jesus call it eternal life or everlasting? Either Jesus doesn't know what he is talking about or salvation is eternal and everlasting. You can believe anything you want, about the subject, but I'll say, let God be true and every man a liar. I'll just believe the book. But then he prayed for not only their preservation, but their protection. In verses 12 through 15, I'm going to read them there. It says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept and none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled and now come I to thee and these things I speak in in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. He's praying for their protection here. Jesus prayed for his disciples they would be protected from the evil, literally the evil one. See, Jesus is merely praying that they be given strength to face the task at hand. He's not praying that they never... Uh, 
never get persecuted, that they would have the strength, they would have the, that God would see them through it. Let's face it, we're in a battle, folks. We need to learn that the devil hates us and he opposes everything that, that God loves. And we're often attacked by the devil. I'm grateful that I have the Lord's promise of his protection, uh, of his presence and of his peace as I go through life. Because I can tell you this, I couldn't get through days. I couldn't get through today without his protection, his, his promise of his, his peace and his presence in my life. I couldn't get through it. I just praise the Lord that when the devil comes against the saint of God, that the Lord takes up our defense. Before the devil can get to me, think about this. He has to go through the de- he has to go through the Lord. The devil has to go through the Lord before he can ever get to me. He roars, but he cannot touch me unless the Lord allows him to. But then he prayed for their purity. Look there in verse sixteen. It says, "They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth." Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through thy truth. Jesus asked the Father to set these men apart from the world by the word of God. His prayer is that they might live their lives against the backdrop of the scriptures. The Lord's will hasn't changed one bit. He still intends for his people to live clean, holy, separated lives. This purity that the Lord desires is not a purity based on opinions or rules of men, but rather on the righteousness based upon the word of God. His word is truth and is a divinely inspired book. We find the keys to living holy and righteously in the midst of a corrupt world through the book, the word of God. God's desire for our lives is summed up in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. I'm going to read that. I'm going to turn to that. Philippians 2, 15. It says, That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. We see his prayer had a focus, upward focus, an inward focus, an outward focus, but last, his prayer had an onward focus. Look there in verse 20, it says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou the Father art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou hast given me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them, and thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, 
that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Finally, Jesus turns his attention to those who would receive him down through the ages. Think of it. On the eve of his crucifixion, the weight of the world's sin is squarely on him, pressing down on his shoulders. Jesus took the time to pray for you and for me. Think about that. That's what he's saying there. Those that are to come. I don't know about you, but that thrills my heart. In verses 21 through 23, he prayed for harmony or unity. Jesus prayed that his followers might be marked by unity. His desire is that we, are, we be able to get along in front of the world. See, now, you know as well as I do that a lack of unity in the church is a bad witness in the world. God's desire is that we learn to get along with one another and that we have a oneness in heart that unites regardless of the storms that we have to weather. Now, it is obvious that when you have two people together, there's going to be two opinions. You have 100 people together, there's going to be 100 opinions. The secret is being able to disagree without being disagreeable. In other words, everything we do must be done with the view of maintaining unity in the church. See, there's no room for struggles within the body of Christ. You mark it down, when there is disunity within the church, someone is outside the will of God. Why is unity so important in the church? The Bible says it here, because we are a living advertisement for the Lord Jesus. When the world sees the people of God, they, they either see the presence of the Lord or they see presence of strife. Where there is strife, there is confusion, and God is not the author of confusion. Therefore, strife and trouble in the house of God is never God's will. But then, not only prayed for harmony, but he prayed for their homecoming. Look there again in verse 24. It says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. In this verse, Jesus says that his will is for all his followers to be with him in heaven and where they can behold and share his glory. Then he prayed in verse 25 and 26, he prayed for their hearts. As Jesus brought his prayer to a close, he took a minute and prayed that we would be filled with his love. That is his desire that his people be characterized by a life of love. This kind of love is God's demand for his children. In fact, Jesus declared that our mutual love would be a sign of being the disciples of him. That if you love one another, see, this is a love that cannot be duplicated in the world. But it produces, it's produced by God in the hearts of every born-again believer of God. Who but God could produce within us a love for people who are of different backgrounds, differing social groups, different financial standings, various races and creeds, 
the love of God in the hearts of his children is a thing of beauty and of a thing of great wonder. We must ever strive to see that we are indeed characterized by genuine godly love. As I close the message, let me remind you that Christ's prayers are always heard and answered. The question that remains is this. How's it being fulfilled in your life and mine? Are you saved? Is it, it is his desire that you come to him? Is there unity in the church? If it's his desire that there be unity in our church. Are you walking in love? One, one for another. Love one for another. That is his prayer and his will for us. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Jesus Christ, our great high priest. I say this, that our prayers should have an upward focus. We should pray, uh, we should pray for the Lord's will. It should be an inward focus. We'd be praying for uh, our lives, our ministries to, to be what it should be for His glory. Should be an outward focus, praying for the souls of men, and but it should be an onward focus. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're going to take a time of invitation here, and as God has spoke to your heart, I'm just going to ask you just to be obedient to the Lord, however He leads tonight. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, I do ask that you would. Use this simple lesson, Lord, apply it to our hearts, Lord, and realize that, Lord, that you are our great high priest, making ever intercession for us. Lord, that you have set the example of your will for our lives. Lord, may we be ever obedient to what you have for us. Thank you for all that you do. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As we come to this time of invitation, I just want to invite you to come as if the Lord spoke to you. But as you're in an attitude of prayer, do you want to continue to remember these people, these folks in your prayers tonight? Remember Miss Sharon Land. Miss Sharon Land with her, she had surgery, I believe it was, yeah, it was Tuesday. Pray for her and recovery there. Pray for little Andrew. Is he's uh, not feeling well, he's sick. Pray for Brother John as he's recovering. Continue to pray for Brother Kirk and Miss Mona. And pray for Miss Christie's boys and their family for their salvation. There was a prayer request for Jean uh, Morrow, I believe it was. This is a um, lady that Miss Kimberly, uh, her mom knows, and just uh, she um, broke her legs, I believe it was, and just remember her in your prayers as well. Pray for those that were, uh, for the families in bereavement this time those that uh, were involved in the helicopter accident.
Pray for our government. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for the souls of men. Pray for our church. That we be a, a beacon of hope and a light to a dark world. Pray that we would grow in spirit and in number. Pray one for another. Any other prayer requests tonight? Our Heavenly Father, Lord, again, thank you for this opportunity we have to, Lord, just to come together and uh, to open up your word and just to uh, feast from your manna tonight. Lord, I pray that you would uh, take one, one truth from this, apply it to our hearts that we may be better servants for thee. Lord, as we do uh, lift up these petitions, Lord, uh, Lord, uh, I do ask that you be with each one of these prayer requests, Lord, as we made mention tonight. Lord, our country is in a, uh, uh, Lord, we're in a mess. And Lord, we need to get right with you. Lord, it seems like there's a, a split right down the middle between good and evil. And Lord, I ask that you would just intervene on our behalf that we may uh, see a revival come upon our, our nation once again. Maybe you would give us one more last opportunity of uh, seeing more souls saved and Lord, I do pray that you would be with these prayer requests. Lord, I ask that uh, I think of Brother John, Lord, think of Brother Kirk and uh, Miss Sharon, and Lord, for uh, Jean Morrow. Lord, I think of uh, um, uh, Andrew, and I think of um, Miss Christie's boys and their family. Lord, I pray that you would just save them before it's eternally too late. Lord, our most important, the most pertinent uh, prayer request tonight, Lord, is for those that need to be saved. Lord, I pray that you would just bring about conviction, and Lord, that the Holy Spirit of God would, uh, would reveal it to mankind that there are need for, for you. Lord, I do ask that you would uh, just be with our church, help us to grow in spirit and in number. Lord, I ask that you would just guide and direct us. Lord, that you bring us back at the next appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for being